Matthew is here, as always, on a Friday. We'll talk Vikings, Packers, implications. During segment number two, Matthew is on with us on the John Schuster Coldwell Banker Hotline. This is one that almost all of us can relate to, whether it was recent or sometime in our past. If you love pets, could be a dog, could be a cat, could be a platypus. I don't know, whatever pet you had in your life and whether you had to put the pet down or the pet died unexpectedly, uh, it brings anguish. It does allow you to reflect on the thousands of great times, but in those first few days, it is hard to get past the grief. And Matthew, of course, is married to our great friend Sloan Martin. And Sloan worked here for a number of years on this show quite often. We've we've talked about Sloan. Well, we've, with Sloan, I've talked about Nora. With Matthew, I've talked about Nora. So I was so saddened for you two when Nora, your greyhound dog, passed away this week. She was 10 and a half. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. I appreciate that. Yep, uh, 10 and a half. And it uh, did happen unexpectedly, which, you know, I think, like you said, like there's no – there's no easy way out for that. Uh, it's going gonna, it's gonna to hurt a lot, but I think because it was very shocking. Uh, she had an enlarged heart for her entire life, and so we knew it was possible that that could end up being a problem, but we didn't expect it to happen, and she sort of showed no signs, and then all of a sudden she was just gone. So, yeah, it's been a, it's been a pretty rough week. So greyhounds are such an interesting dog because – so many of us, rightfully so, think of them from racing. And then I've seen all these stories like a lot of people have about the number of greyhounds who just, they're not adopted, right? And they need a home. I, I, I saw you answer questions about this comment where Nora was a racing dog for four years. Is that right? How did, how did uh, Nora then end up with the two of you? Yeah, uh, so we decided at some point in our lives before we moved to Minnesota that we just had space for a dog, <laughs> you know. And we, uh, if you, well, you know Sloan, um, she did all the research in the world uh, that you know to try to find the best fit, and kept coming back to retired race dogs because you know people think that they're like aggressive or because they've been forced to race or in a cage that they're you know, that they're going to, like, act out or be dangerous or something. And they are very powerful and strong. And Nora was unbelievably strong. But uh, they are the biggest sweethearts in the entire world. They're much more of a couch potato because, um, every you know, people would say, like, oh, well, don't you have to run around all the time? Like, no, not really. I mean, she would do her morning sprint and, uh, you know, we'd go for walks. But um, a lot of times she just lounged around on the couch. And I know we've talked about yes. how Sloan and her fought <laughs> over the spot right. and the couch yep, all the time, all the time. Because that was <laughs> Nora's spot on the couch, but it was also Sloan. So, you know, but uh, they, I mean, they're little angels. I mean, we, um, we got together with a group here of people that rescue race dogs. And, and so we'd have 20 greyhounds in a room and they're, and they're very quiet. They don't bark. So it's sort of funny to have 20 dogs in the same room and most of them just stand around quietly. So it's kind of funny. Uh, but Nora was, she was a little different among greyhounds. She was uh, very energetic, extremely loving to all people. And she loved cats. She loved other dogs. She loved the, the, the people that, uh, you know, would watch her when we'd be out of town. So if anybody's considering that, like look into 
uh, retired race dogs because, like you said, like they they need homes, and also mm-hmm. a lot of a lot of states are making it illegal or shutting down tracks and things like that, and the dogs have nowhere to go. So there's there's different groups. There's a couple different groups in Minnesota if people want to look into it. Yeah, I, I was looking that up after I saw the news, and it does seem like, and maybe I'm missing it, but it does seem like the Greyhound dog business has slowed down in some places. But that doesn't mean the population of Greyhound <laughs> dogs has slowed down. So it probably just raises the need even higher for people to step up like you and Sloan did to bring these uh, treasures into your life. Yeah, totally correct. And I think, you know, Florida, it's been a conversation there. It's funny, uh, Nora came from West Virginia because there's only a handful of states where it's still allowed, and there's a reason for that. Um, you know, there there are debates among the community about racing and whether it can be done safely. In my opinion, it can't. Uh, Nora came to us because of it, but I'd shut it down in a day if I could. But um, So there's conversations in different states about it happening, but, you know, the, there are people in Minnesota or in Buffalo where we were where they'll drive to, you know, I think in this case it would be Iowa, drive to Iowa, pick up the dogs, drive them back, find them foster homes, put the sort of bat signal out for people to adopt them. They even have like events and things like this where you can come meet a greyhound, which is what we did before we adopted Nora. We went to an event and we met, uh, you know, a couple of greyhounds and we were like, okay, these, these are just the nicest and sweetest and most precious dogs. Um, and they have, you know, they have big personalities too. Like they kind of, well, if you've ever watched the Simpsons, whoever wrote that had a greyhound for sure. Like <laughs> they have a lot of the same, a lot of the perfect tendencies that were really captured. So they're little goofballs and they're a little aloof, but w- because we had her for so long, we had a language and anybody who has a dog knows this, that like everything the dog is trying to tell you, you could pick up on after a while. So it, it doesn't feel like a dog. Eventually, it feels like just another person and part of your family, which is why it was so uh, tough to go through this this week. I wanted to give you a chance to talk, and I and I just felt like so many people could identify because they've been there, you know. And there, there, there. Yes, there's a few wrong words that people can say, but mostly, even if they don't have the precise right words, you just know they're reaching out to you and they're thinking of you. Um, because they've been there, and I and I bet when the two of you have been on Twitter out and about, you've heard from a lot of people. So, just wanted to send my best to both you guys in that. Let's uh, well, let's I, yeah, I appreciate that. Let's do this. Let's pause, come back, and we'll talk about a little game we like to call the Minnesota Vikings and Green Bay Packers Lambeau Field about uh, three thirty on Sunday. Back with Mister Purple Insider Matthew Collar in just moments on CCO. Matthew Collar uh, returns. You can check out all his fabulous information. Purple Insider Friday Mailbag today. Stories, interviews, podcasts, tweets. They give it all to you at a very reasonable price. If you're paying, uh, if you're paying attention to the Vikings, and so many of you are, absolutely worth a small amount of money and your time. Let's start with the Packers here, Matthew, and. We've watched this routine quite often with Aaron Rodgers where they don't play well for a while. He offers some some phrase, and also when they start winning, it's like, whoa, here they come. And a lot of times it's appropriate and it's accurate. I've watched them win some of these games lately, and I'm sorry I'm not dazzled. I, I, I am still not buying it, whether it's his injuries, whether his age – 
he still is offering up a high number of inexplicable throws. They have a number of injuries. No comparison between the Packers and Vikings. So how legit are the Packers at this point, in your view? Yeah, I I completely agree with you. I don't think they're legit at all. I mean, just even to win the Miami game, the Dolphins had to play a concussed Tua Tagovailoa to get there, and he threw three very bizarre interceptions that he probably only throws if he's not at 100%. And they were down 20-10 to in that game. Yes, they were. They they were horrendous on third downs. They were horrendous in the red zone. And Aaron Rodgers still doesn't look like he's on the same page as his wide receivers Mm -hmm. all that often. There's still the same body language stuff from him, the throws that don't look like it's an Aaron Rodgers throw. But then every once in a while, he just puts a dart on somebody that you're like, okay, wow, that was pretty impressive. So there's, there's flashes of it. But look at these last, what is it? They've won four out of the last six, I think. And then look at his performances. There's nothing in there that wows you. There's no, Mm, like, 340 yards and five touchdowns or anything like that. And the other part of this, too, is that Christian Watson, at best, is going to be very banged up. And he's become their best receiver, hands down. And at worst, he might not play. We haven't gotten the Packers injury report Um, So I think that that's a major factor in this game is that if there's one guy that was going to rip apart the Vikings, it was probably him. At the same time, though, Daniel Jones isn't a good quarterback. Neither is Mike White. Yes. Neither was Andy Dalton. Neither was like a lot of bad. It's a long list. Yep. Yeah. Have kind of had their day against the Vikings. So I wouldn't say confidently that Rodgers won't do anything. But I think as far as the conversation about them as a broader team I still don't think they're very strong I still think their defense is horrible against the passing game and the only way that they can slow down Kirk Cousins this week and Justin Jefferson is the interior rush which Garrett Bradbury is going to be out this week and and that was a major issue last week against the Giants well this is one of my media pet peeves and I've acknowledged over and over again Rodgers my man crush and just his his brilliance absolute brilliance at times and then also acknowledge the last couple years what has happened to him in the playoffs, but there are times when legendary individuals, you name the sport, are having very poor stretches or seasons, but then they have like a half or they have a game, and it's like, I told you, how could you ever doubt him? If Aaron Rodgers plays great on Sunday, you will acknowledge it, I will acknowledge it. But that doesn't mean, hey, I told you. I told you he was always like this because he hasn't been there he hasn't been that person this year. We just have to be flat-out honest about it. Now, where are you at with this uh, Jefferson Alexander and how much we'll see of him, what Alexander said this week, and downplaying? Uh, it has some fun to the dialogue. How much of a one-on-one matchup will it be? Well, I think if you're the Packers, you need it to be a one-on-one matchup a lot more than you did in week one. Yeah. Yeah. I actually – I actually agree with Jair Alexander about week one. It's not ever fluky that Justin Jefferson would catch a ton of passes for a ton of yards. But what was fluky is that the Packers' defense in that game was way off. It was like they hadn't practiced. I mean, even Jefferson said yesterday, we asked him about the comment and everything else, and he said there were times where he caught the ball expecting to be tackled and no one was around. I mean, so that won't happen again more likely than not, though the Packers do not have a good 
pass defense, but you know that they've been thinking about this for a while, like how they're going to do things differently. The problem is for them, I've seen teams do just about everything under the sun to try to stop Justin Jefferson, and nobody's really been able to do it yet except for, what, a week three game against the Lions? The only way to do it is usually to sack Kirk Cousins and to pressure Kirk Cousins into throwing short passes. Uh, or, I mean, Cousins has taken more sacks this year than he ever has in his career before. So if there's one way to slow it down, and, and we've seen that, it's always with that pressure because I don't think there's any coverage that specifically slows down Jefferson. And, and this is one thing that every Vikings fan was right about the last two years. I don't care if he's double teamed. I don't care <laughs> yeah, what the coverage right. they're playing. I don't care. Throw him the football. And that is where you have to give Kevin O'Connell major credit. As he has said, you know what? Last year, everybody tried everything against Cooper Cup. They couldn't stop him, and they're not stopping this guy either. And uh, I think it's always been a fact of just the NFL. If you have that guy, if you have Jerry Rice, Randy Moss, Terrell Owens, I don't care what they do, you can't stop them. Two more points for Matthew Collar. He's on the uh, John Schuster. Coldwell Banker Hotline. Check out Matthew's outstanding information, his entire team, including our own Paul Hodawanaki from CCO, works very closely with Matthew, a Purple Insider. Okay. To me, there is an enormous difference, potentially, if you have the number two seed versus the number three seed. That's where the Vikings are right now. They have this one-game lead against San Francisco, but if it's tied, then San Francisco will hold the tiebreak. Not really uh, in in the first round. And clearly the Vikings win all these close games, so we would assume the first game when the Vikings are in the playoffs will be very close. But if we get to a Minnesota-San Francisco matchup, and it's uh, Mr. Irrelevant, who's not playing like that in any way, Brock Purdy. And Brock Purdy, as inexperienced as he is, even though he's playing with his uber-talented, tough-guy football team, with the 49ers, with a lot of skill offensively, especially if Debo comes back, I still think it's a very, potentially a very different kid quarterback if he's playing in California at home for the 49ers versus a raucous stadium at U.S. Bank. And thus my point is, I think the Vikings should keep playing their starters quite a bit to try to get the second seed, I think it matters immensely over San Francisco. Yeah, I go back and forth on this because I tried to use history to look into it, and it's it's just hard to find that it's a massive, massive advantage to be at home in the divisional round. Like, of course, the win-loss record is a lot better, but when you use, like, the Vegas line and the expectations, it's about 50-50 whether the team covers or not. Uh, going on the road in the divisional round. And both teams that reached the Super Bowl last year had to go on the road in the divisional round and, and found a way to win. So, um, or is that right? Yeah, I think that's right. Um, or was it? Yeah, I think that's San right. Francisco so, won in Green Bay and, and L.A. won in Tampa. It was Tampa Bay, right. Yep. So, yeah, like, I mean, is it is it changed a lot? I think it has. Like, where teams now have it down to a science about going on the road, they have it down to a science, the hand signals and the silent counts and all these things that have really evened the playing field. But I think that your point is correct, that if we look at the broader picture, okay, maybe it's not as big of a deal. But if you look at this specific circumstance where it appears to be a collision course to face one specific team, you'd much rather face that quarterback here 
than you would uh, out in Santa Clara. I completely agree. I don't think the Vikings are quite the same on grass as they are at, nope. at home on their turf. Yep. Um, we've seen them kind of struggle offensively against teams like Miami and Washington on some sloppy grass. And, and look at San Francisco, what they do when they're at home and how they're built. So, yeah, I, I agree with you, but I also have it in the back of my head. This is a cursed Vikings franchise yes, right. that if you play your starters in, yep. in a game that might be meaningless. So I think this, this week might determine it because if they lose to Green Bay and San Francisco is very likely going to beat, uh, what, Jared Stidham, yeah. then, it's, then different. It's, a much harder, it's a much harder conversation because you won't be in that two seed and you'll need a win and a loss from them. And they're going to face David Blau, I think, with Arizona in Week 18. Right. So it really depends on this week. But if if all they need is a win in Chicago to get it, they probably will go for it. Last thing, uh, this organization, like others looking for a coach last offseason, looked long and hard at Nathaniel Hackett. He was one of the it guys, like Kevin O'Connell. And with Denver, it made even more sense because they thought if we get Hackett, maybe Rodgers forces his way to Denver. But other teams, Minnesota included, looked at Hackett very seriously, legitimately, and it wasn't the pursuit of Aaron Rodgers. Sometimes there's just good fortune, Matthew. Sometimes there is. And who knows? Maybe Nathaniel Hackett gets a second opportunity. I don't think so. And he turns out to be very good in his second chance. But, man, oh, man, it was a complete fiasco in Denver. Most of it, to me, is on the ghost of Russell Wilson. But it just shows how fractional things are when you lose out on a guy you might have liked and you get a guy who might be great. And Cousins has played better than Wilson, but that is a very interesting subplot to this entire season for the Vikings. Yeah, I mean, that coaching decision, you just never know. I mean, it's just like drafting a player where everyone will go back, and this always drives me crazy, and go, oh, well, they should have seen it coming with this, that, or the other thing. Like, oh, come on. Well, remember yeah. when we were criticizing, or not me, but like uh, Kevin O'Connell hasn't called plays or something. It's like, okay, well, I, I don't know. None of us know whether it's going to work out or not on the, on the day that you hire him. But I do think that the reason Nate Hackett doesn't have his job is because Russell Wilson can't play football anymore. No. And, and, it, and, it, and it goes probably as far as that. And that's the same thing with here. It's like Kevin O'Connell looks absolutely brilliant this year, and I think he's done a tremendous job and deserves to be in the Coach of the Year conversation. If Justin Jefferson had broken his ankle in training camp, <laughs> they'd have five wins. Yeah. You're right. I mean, so a lot of, You're a right. lot of times that's what it really comes down to. And then we write the rest of the narrative about the coach, unless it's someone like Urban Meyer or Bobby Petrino who set, like, land speed records for how horrible they were. Great stuff, as always. Uh, send my best to Sloan, and uh, have a happy new year, and we'll uh, talk next week. Yep, happy new year to you guys as well. Thank you. Matthew Collar, Purple Insider.